welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. This morning, as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in your New Testament, if you did not receive uh, one of the element cups for for the communion, uh, raise your hand. We want to make sure that you have one. And our, I know right down here there's a hand. Um, Don, right down the other side, Don. That's okay. Right down here. <laughs> the other right hand. There you go. All right. Anybody else? We want to make sure that you have that. Okay. Uh, that'll come a little later, so don't open it just yet because then you'll figure out, try to figure out how not to spill it for the next, like, ten minutes. I don't preach longer than that, do I? Okay. Just making sure. All right. So um, let's bow in prayer as we come to God's Word together. Father, this morning we do thank you for the cross. In fact... Father, we don't really have words to describe the thankfulness that we have. Because we realize that what Jesus did at the cross, he's the only one who could have ever done that. There's no one else. There's no place else that that could have ever taken care of our sin than Jesus Christ, your son, going to the cross. So, Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and lives right now that we would keep our eyes focused on who Jesus is because it's so easy to look at other stuff around us, stuff that's not nearly so important. Father, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see his work in our lives. And Father, for that one who maybe has never trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior, we pray that today would be that day that they would say, yes, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to accept his work at the cross in my life. Father, we praise you in advance for what you're going to do this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are going through the book of 1 Corinthians. Good news for the not so good. That includes all of us, so we're in good shape. So we know that this is a book for us as we look at that because there is absolutely no believer who is perfect. Nobody lives a sinless life. We try, we hope, but we don't make it there. Not one of us. And so if you're thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I don't need to worry about what, whatever the pastor's saying today, and I don't need to worry about 1 Corinthians, you're wrong. You, we all need this, every one of us. And so today we are looking at room to grow If we're not perfect, if we're not sinless, then there has to be some room to grow, and it's up to us ourselves to make that room to grow in our lives, in our spiritual life. So today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. If you want to follow along with me, uh, you can in your Bible or up on this screen. There, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, 
Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, or another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Verse 5 goes on to say, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each of, to each of his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who, 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 who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have the same purpose, and each one will be rewarded according to their labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And as we continue this series uh, in 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at chapter 3, it's good to think about what we just looked at in chapter 2 last week. In chapter 2, you remember that Paul made some distinctions. He made some distinctions between two kinds of people who were on the face of the earth. There are those people who we would call, and the Bible would call, a natural man. And then there are those who are spiritual men. And everybody is one or the other, but not both at the same time. You're either a natural man or you're a spiritual man. So what is the distinction? What is it that makes that distinction that we might understand that? The person without the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit living within them, uh, is, that, is that natural man. And, and that person is one uh, who is lost and the other is not. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Go back just a couple of verses here. Um, in verses 14 to 16, Paul said, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now stop there just for a minute with me. Now, I didn't really, didn't really dwell on this passage last week very much, but we all know that to be true because... If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably have talked with or shared with somebody who is not saved, and you want them to trust Jesus. You want them to be a Christian. You want them to walk with the Lord, and they listen maybe to you, or they read that, and or you, you tell them something about who Jesus is, and they look at you with a blank stare, and they say, I don't get it. And not only do I don't get it, I don't want it. Because they don't get it. Why don't they get it? Because they do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives spiritual discernment. But when the Holy Spirit begins to work in their lives, he gives them the ability to understand that spiritual truth of who Jesus Christ is. It may come as a shock to some of you, but nobody in this room is the Holy Spirit. I know you want to be. I know you try to be. And you think you'd be pretty good at it. But the Holy Spirit is really good at what he does. And he doesn't need us in that regard. We are not the Holy Spirit. We can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many, many times it will get rejected. But it doesn't mean we don't keep sharing. 
but it means the Holy Spirit is not yet working in that person's life. That person is a natural man or a woman. That's a natural human being. goes on in verse 15 of chapter 2. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. And so for that person who's trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior, now the Holy Spirit lives within them. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you take the Holy Spirit with you everywhere you go, Christian, and he gives you discernment, and he says, I will judge you. He takes care of that too, doesn't he? He convicts us of sin. And now we're thinking, I'm not so sure it's so good to have the Holy Spirit all the time. But it is a very good thing for us because it convicts us when we are living in unrighteousness or doing things that are we should not be doing. And then verse 16, which was our, our memory verse for last week, uh, Paul said this in, two, in chapter 2, verse 16, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Certainly not me or you, but we have the mind of Christ. We don't get to tell God what to do, but he gives us his mind so that we will know what we should do and how we should live. And that comes through the process of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. Now we come to chapter 3, especially in these first nine verses, and Paul's making a further distinction between two different groups of people. He he has, he's already told us in chapter 2, there's two kinds of human beings in the world, those who are lost and those who are saved, those who are natural men, those who are, who are spiritual men. But now he wants to only focus on that second group, those who are spiritual men, those who are saved. So he kind of leaves behind now that thought of who are these people in our lives and that, we, that we deal with that are unsaved, and he wants to talk to the church. He wants to talk to us today. To those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And now, what does he do? He says, oh, and now we're going to talk about two classes of men in the church. Two classes of people who belong to Christ. Those people who have been saved. But there really are two distinctions. There are two different kinds of people in that regard. And, and we, we don't think in those terms all the time. We think about the us and them, us who are saved, and them who aren't. But Paul says, but when you're saved, you also need to be thinking in terms of us and them, in terms of who we are in Jesus Christ, because they're very different. He says one group are a group of people who, once they are saved, are now moving on toward maturity in Jesus Christ, because we're all saved as infants, I don't mean when we were born. I mean that whatever age we were, when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're babies in Jesus Christ. There's a lot of growth we need to do. There's a lot of things we need to learn. There's a lot of things we need to put into practice in our lives, and it takes time. It takes time. But that spiritually mature Christian is one who is moving along that, that, that process, if you will. They're in that cycle. They are saying, okay, I know where I'm at today, but I know where I need to be. And so I'm moving toward that. I'm growing in my walk with Jesus Christ. And, and that, that doing all that work lasts for really for, for eternity. We're just, we're just constantly moving that way. We're growing in our faith, and then someday we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to see the fullness of that in our lives. But we're not going to see it here. So none of us have reached that end point of that growth. That's why I said we need to have that room for growth in our lives. Every one of us does. Because none of us 
are there. And we won't be there until we stand before the Lord in eternity. And so we need to keep moving. But then there's this other group of believers who have trusted Jesus to be their Savior and for all practical purposes just stayed infants. They stayed infants in Jesus Christ. For those of you who had children, they all started as little bitty babies, didn't they? You know, seven, eight, nine, ten pounds for, for one of ours. We'll be here in a couple of weeks. A lot more than ten pounds now, but he was ten pounds then, and that was a lot. And that's okay. They're, they're moments old. They're a month old. They're two months old. We don't expect them to run around the house and climb ladders and all that kind of stuff. That comes later as they grow. But if they stay there at that infant stage for a year and two years and three years and four years, we would not say that's all right, would we? We would say there's something drastically wrong. And so we would find someone that could give them help. We'd go to doctors, and we would, we'd be trying to find out why is our child not growing. Well, the same thing happens with Christians. There are some who will choose to stay infants, and they don't, they'll just stay there. And, and so Paul is, is addressing those people. He's saying, this, you're, you're staying as an infant, but I don't want you to stay there. That's not good. And so while one group of Christians are thriving because they are growing in Christ and they're making conscious choices to do that, the other group are just stalled at whatever point they chose to stall at. They said, that's all I want. I don't need any more. Maybe they've been saved for a week. Maybe they've been saved for 10 years, and all of a sudden they just say, yeah, I'm not doing any more. I don't need this. I'm good. I'm going to heaven someday. I may get in by the skin of my teeth. I'm going to smell like, like smoke because everything I thought I did good is all just burned up. But I'll go to heaven someday. And Paul said, that becomes a problem. And what happens in their life here is that they flounder. They are flounderers, if that's the word. They're, they're, they're just floundering around, and they're just, they're just not... They're just not doing anything that's effective. They're very ineffective in their spiritual life. That is not the purpose for which they were saved. God has a purpose for our lives, and that's not it. And we don't have to, we don't have to even wonder about that because Paul is really clear. Um, and so Paul, in the beginning of chapter 3, addresses this group of flounderers, if you will. And, and it appears that it makes up the majority of the church at Corinth these people he's writing this letter to because this is a letter addressed to a particular church and so it seems like the most of the people who are who are christians at the church at corinth are flounderers they're ineffective christians and probably the same thing can be said for a good portion of the church today not just i'm not talking about just our congregation i'm talking about the church at large the church universal that, that a lot of people stay in that, that place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 again. He starts out by saying, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. I couldn't address you as those who are spiritual believers who are growing intentionally. You're doing the things necessary to grow. He says, 
Instead, he said, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. And so he doesn't pull any punches. He says, I wish you were a spiritual believer. I wish you were a maturing believer that's in that process of growing and continuing to grow until the day that you're not here in this world anymore. But you're not. He said, instead, I have to treat you like you're an infant. Like you're still in the crib. You're still on pablum. And, and you're just not growing at all. And so he said, I just have to come to you in that regard. I have to treat you that way. And he uses a word here um, in, in this verse, in verse 1, the word worldly. Worldly. And, and that's, not a, that's not necessarily a word that has a lot of good connotation to us, does it, as Christians? You know, um, the worldly. Uh, it, back when I was... When I was starting in ministry and, and even in te- my teenagers before that, so in the late 60s, early 70s, that's 19, 60s and 70s for some. You think it's maybe 18 or something like that, but it was the 1960s and 70s. Um, we, were, we were told, I was told pretty much what, what worldly means in the Christian life. Worldly meant in the 70s, in in church where Barb and I were at, it meant you don't go to Hollywood movies. It meant that you that you didn't listen to secular music. You didn't even listen to contemporary Christian music. You you were um, you stylish clothes were part of worldliness. So that was worldly. That's not what Paul's talking about. That is not worldly from a biblical standpoint. Worldly is very different than that. And so we need to look at what Paul is saying, not what the church of the 70s was saying, but and even the church of today might be saying. Um, Paul is talking about worldly, and the word that he uses in Greek, uh, and, and only not because it's a Greek word that you've ever heard before, but it, it's, it's a very important Greek word in terms of what we're talking about today. It was, it's sarkinos. Sarkinos. And you don't have to memorize that. It's okay. There's not going to be a test on this later on or anything like that. But just understand that, that that's the word that Paul chooses to use. He says, he says, you are worldly. You are sarkinos. And he's going to use that word but it, it defines differently all through this passage. He, he pulls out different meanings of that so that we'll understand what he's talking about. So, for example, the word sarkinos means fleshly. So it means things of the flesh. Just, just things that we, would, that we would look at and say, okay, this is of the flesh. And, and he said, there are some, some of you who are just living for the flesh. You're living for, and you can bring that other one up if you want to, uh, you're, uh, are of the world too. It's just of the world. So there are a lot of Christians who live of the world, who just say, I want the things that the world has to offer. And if that stands in the way, uh, if the church stands in the way of that, or my Christian life stands in the way of that, then I'll choose the world. I want, I want, I want the things that lead to success in the world. And so I'm going to put those things first. 
And so it might be, it might be the job, it might be the bank account, it might be the, the things that I can buy with that, that money, and um, you know, it might be prestige and power. And, and there's nothing wrong with some of those things unless they become your God. They're the thing that you are living for. And that's what sarkinos means. It means you're living for those things. You're living for those things of the flesh are those things of the world. And then, uh, if you look at the King James Version, we're looking at, at the New International Version right now, but that word sarkinos uh, is translated not worldly, but as carnal. Carnal. So, look at First. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 1 in King James Version. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even unto babes in Christ. So he's saying, you are you're carnal. And, and that word carnal has a really bad connotation, doesn't it? It means I'm just really bought into the world system. So that's, that's the word that he's using. But he uses it again in verses 3 and 4. But he changes the meaning, just at, at the, the emphasis a little bit. But it's the same word, sarkinos. And so uh, there he's talking about mere men or human beings. Just mere men or human beings. Look at verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, uh, he says, Are you not acting like mere men, sarkinos? You're just, you're just what the world thinks of as a man or a woman. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, Are you not mere men, same word, sarkinos, are you not just like every other unsaved person on the world, in the world? And so Paul looks at it and he says, There are a lot of people who go by the name Christian and maybe they've trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior, but they're not moving anywhere. They're just stalled. They're sticking right where they were. They're not growing, and they don't care to grow. And so Paul's just trying to get their attention. He's kind of saying, wake up. It is time to move. It's time not to be a mere person, a mere human being anymore. And so that mere man has to do with the idea that you're just like everybody else who's unsaved. You just want to have a mantle that says, I'm a Christian, and maybe wear a cross around your neck, beyond that you live just like everybody else and nobody looking at you would have any clue that you're a christian other than you might get up and come to church occasionally but a lot of non-christians get up and come to church occasionally too so the world's not going to look at that and say wow there's anything different because you're like him in every other way everything all your attitudes all the things you do and that's what paul's seeing in the church of corinth and he says that's not a good thing in other words that mere Christian, that, that Sarkinos Christian is the opposite of a spiritual believer. And that's what he's trying to get us to see here in chapter 3. And so he refers to a certain kind of attitude or behavior that prevents believers from moving onward and upward in their Christian life. And so he tells these people that they are still like infants, like little babies in their faith. And, and he had to give them the spiritual equivalent of milk to feed them. He said, I want to teach you some very deep truths, and I want you to be understanding them, but you're not ready for that. And I can't give that to you because you wouldn't understand it and you wouldn't accept it. And so he said, I got to just give you milk. I got to give you a bottle, and, and we're just going to go from there. 
And that echoes to some extent the writer of Hebrews and what he said in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. He said this. He said, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is what? For the mature. He said, I want you to get to solid food. We wanted our babies to get to solid food. If for no other reason, we didn't have to wash bottles anymore. And besides, when you're a kid, you can throw solid food better than you can throw milk. But he said, I want you to move toward solid food. I want, that's God's plan in our lives. And so, so the writer of Hebrews is talking about the same kind of believer that Paul's talking about, which tells us that the condition is stunted growth is not all that rare. It wasn't rare in Paul's day in the church of Corinth, and it's not rare today in our lives and in our world. And so Christians have to resist the tendency and the temptation to be a flounder. To say, I'm just going to stop and hang out here. Not going anywhere else. Don't want to do anything. And so Paul speaks really directly to the Corinthians, telling them, you're not where you ought to be, and you're not nearly as far along as you think you are. So he said, it's time to grow. It's time to move on. And the fact that you're not growing is not somebody else's fault. It is your own fault. See, we want to place blame on it. If we're not growing in our Christian life, it's got to be somebody else's fault, but it's not. Paul said to these Christians, you are infants because you choose to be. You're an infant, and it's your own fault. You can't point your finger at anybody else. It is your issue. You're the one who did that. And, and he tells them that they're sabotaging their own spiritual growth. So how did they sabotage their spiritual growth? What did they do that would sabotage it? Again, in verses 3 and 4, he says, Are you not acting as mere men? Are you not mere men? He said, he said you're acting as carnal, as, as worldly people. And, and so he said, that's a problem. And we mentioned in the weeks, in, in the last couple of weeks, starting in chapter 1, that there were a number of divisions in the Corinthian church. They, they existed all around, and each associated with a different Christian leader, those members of the church. Some associated with the Apostle Paul, some with Apollos, some with Cephas, uh, who was the Apostle Peter, and some even with Jesus Christ. And each group tended to look down their nose at the other people in their groups. They said, we're better Christians than you are because of who you affiliate with. And they're all in the same body of Christ. They're in the same church. They're in the same place. This is Corinth. And so they're, they're, they're in conflict with each other. They look down their noses and it creates all kinds of conflict. And so Paul's saying, you cannot move to the next level in your spiritual life and be in conflict with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to deal with that. 
Because if you don't, it is sabotage. It's sabotaging you. You are not growing. You're not ready for spiritual food. And so you have to get that taken care of. And and I got to tell you, he's saying you got to act as grown-ups. Now it's hard to preach a sermon out of this chapter to to you all because because we're a very unified church and we love each other. But that's not the case in every church. And it was not the case uh, there in Corinth. Uh, and, and so I can't tell you how happy I am that this is not you, that we're not necessarily the, the Corinthian church. But we have to be careful about what is Paul is saying because we can slip into being the church of Corinth if we're not careful in what we're doing. And so I can't read this passage um, without thinking, you know, how does this, this verse, how do these passages refer to me personally? Uh, how do I look at them? You know, am I doing things and saying things that cause division in our church? Am I, am I holding myself back from the growth God intends for me? Am I saying no to ministry opportunities that God has for me? Am I saying, I just want to stall out here. I just want to flounder right here. And, and that's not good. And every Christian needs to ask those kinds of questions of themselves. So every member at First Southern needs to be asking those questions all the time. Am I still on track or am I floundering? Am I still on track or am I saying, no, I don't want to do what God wants me to do right now? I'm not sure I, I trust everybody. Um, every church needs to ask those questions. Is there... Is there, are there areas in which I am being small-minded or that we are being small-minded? Uh, are there areas in which we're holding ourselves uh, and our others back in their spiritual growth? could be a family member. could be your spouse. could be a child. Am I keeping somebody else from being able to grow because of decisions that I'm making because I'm choosing to live like an infant? Am I impacting people that way? So today, as we look at three attitudes uh, that stood in the way of unity and spiritual growth in the church of Corinth, I, wanna, I want us to consider three things that we can do to make sure that we're not misbehaving, that we're not behaving like the church at Corinth, uh, and, and we're not just being mere human beings, as the Apostle Paul would say, but that we're spiritual uh, we're wa- we're working spiritually in our lives, and so that's gonna it's gonna include our personal lives. It's gonna include our work life, our family life, our social life, our church life. It's all of those things where Satan wants to derail us. So three things we can do to make sure that we're not behaving as mere human beings today. What are three things that we can do? The first one is this: let's make an effort to move away from conflicts. Let's make sure that we don't move toward conflict, that we move away from conflict. Um, The theological differences between the Apostle Paul and Apollos and, and Cephas, Peter, probably didn't amount to very much at all. Probably wasn't a nickel's worth of difference between what they were teaching, what they believed. Maybe maybe it was a difference of approach. Maybe it was a difference of style of preaching and teaching or emphasis. Um, maybe, maybe some minor differences in ideology, but still there was, there was 
none, none of these men were infallible. It's possible that maybe there were some of those minor differences. However, they were, for the most part, on the same page theologically. They just didn't argue about theology. They didn't argue about the cross. They didn't argue about the deity of Jesus Christ. They didn't argue about the virgin birth. They didn't argue about salvation by faith and faith alone. They did not argue about those things that matter. And so Paul is saying, stay away from arguments that don't matter. Um, and and we, can, we need to be sure of that. Part of being a spiritual grown-up is being able to accept the idea that someone at some time might have an opinion different than your own. And that's okay. It's hard to believe, I know, that somebody would think differently than you are because you're right about everything, but, you know, they, they will. They'll, you'll find people that will have a different opinion. And, um, and, so, and so because of that, uh, we, we have to, to think, it's okay, I don't have to be right all the time. Several years ago, I came across this cartoon, and I just kind of saved it. And the man sitting at his computer, and his wife calls out, are you coming to bed? And he says, I can't. This is important. From the bedroom, she says, what? And he says, someone is wrong on the Internet. i got to fix it. I have no idea who this person is, and they don't affect my life at all, but I'm going to fix them before I go to bed tonight. You ever find yourself doing that? Or thinking that? I can't believe they put that on Facebook. They're so wrong. I'll straighten them out. So they're wrong. You don't even know them. It's not going to impact your life unless you let it. I'm going to tell you about two families that I've gotten to know pretty well over the years. And they couldn't be more different from one another. One family is prone to disagree with each other on life's most important topics. They, they disagree on religion. They disagree on politics, on football even. Maybe even baseball, I don't know. Who knows? We won't mention baseball right now. Although my 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 my, my one D back shirt got a little more valuable last night. In case you're looking to buy one. I wasn't gonna sell it after the first week because it plummeted in the first game a couple nights ago. But when they're together, when this family who doesn't agree on much of anything gets together, you know what takes place? They get engaged in sometimes spirited debate and on those topics, and sometimes you're going to hear someone say, how could you think that? How could you possibly believe that? What's going on? Are you out of your mind? And sometimes you'll hear, that's a good point. I never thought of that. And there's a lot of laughter and there's a lot of love in the room. Other family is much different. They all attend the same kind of church, support the same political party, 
same candidates and root for the same team. And you dare not say anything outside of the approved answers. It won't work well. You can't talk about politics unless you're talking about the right politics. But if you say the wrong thing, they're going to cut you off and they're going to say, okay, if we get together again, let's not talk about politics, religion, those kinds of things. Tends to be a lot less laughter and a lot less love around the dinner table at Thanksgiving or Christmas. Let me ask you a question. Which family group would you say best envelops or, or shows the spiritually mature family of believers? It's the first one, not the second one. They're choosing not to let arguments and conflict come into their relationship. And that's our challenge. Our challenge as a body of Christ is to not let those kinds of petty things stand in the way of being able to be who we are and love each other and to share life together. And being of one mind doesn't mean that everyone has the same exact opinion of everything. But we are of one mind here. It means that everyone has the same commitment to seeking the truth. And we have the same commitment to learning the truth while supporting one another in love. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That's what John Wesley came along and said um, a while back. John Wesley uh, said this. He said, may we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. He said we can be of one mind, but it doesn't mean we're going to decide to agree on every small matter. Romans 12, 18, Paul said it this way, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at what? Peace with everyone. Paul said it's much better to be at peace than to be at war. Much better to live in harmony than in conflict. What a great attitude to have. I will not be the reason, Paul says, there is conflict among us. He says, I will not be the reason there is disunity in our circle. So if you want to put an end to spiritual sabotage in your own life, then let's move away from petty don't get wrapped up in petty conflicts. Second thing that we need to learn is this. Let's place no limit on the lessons we can learn from others. Sounds like I'm kind of changing directions, but I'm not. I'm kind of staying right on point here. In verse 4, he says, in the entire verse, he says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? Um, there were those in the, the Corinthian church who would say, I am of Paul, and they hung on to his every word. And there were those who would say, I follow Apollos, and they hung on to his every word. 
And they would say, I am, I am a follower of Cephas, and I hang on to his every word. But they would not listen to the others. If they were listening to Paul, they wouldn't listen to Cephas or Apollos. If they were listening to Apollos, they wouldn't listen to, to Paul or Cephas. If they were listening to Cephas, they wouldn't listen to Paul or Apollos, who were saying the same thing. And they were, they were, they were causing issues among each other because of that. Um, and theologically, I said there was a nickel's worth of difference between these leaders, but that didn't stop each group of followers from manufacturing differences. They took something minor and made, they made mountains out of molehills in their, in their lives and in their walk with Christ. And when someone from Paul's group was teaching, do you think that the other group would, would have any respect for what he said? Do you think they're willing to listen and be ready to learn when someone from the other group uh, or side got up to speak? I doubt it. I don't think they would listen. They were so divided at that point. Now, I've never been in a church that had divisions among the membership over various speakers uh, like this, but I have been in churches where there were been divisions over various worship leaders and different styles of music who say, I like this style, I like this music leader, and I will not listen, and I will not participate, and I will not think I can worship if it's not them. And anybody else who wants somebody else besides them, well, they're not a very good Christian. They can't be saved. How can I, how can I grow in the Lord under somebody's music ministry? It is the same argument of the Corinthian church. There's absolutely no difference in that. They're saying, if you follow this guy, or you follow her, then you're not worthy of my respect, and I don't want anything to do with you. I have to go find another church. And the people at that church are probably saying the same thing. I got to go find another church. And they'll go to another church, and people there are saying, i got to go find another church. Because somehow we think that is what makes all the difference. One day, years ago, had an opportunity to go. I was on the other side of the country with the Navy, and I had a Sunday night off. I had a chance to go to one of our one of our premier churches at Southern Baptist, and, and I wanted to hear, I never heard the pastor preach in, in person before, and I wanted to hear. So I went to Sunday night service, only to find out he wasn't preaching that night. His associate pastor was preaching. Well, actually, they were kind of co-pastors, but the one was the primary of the co, and the other was the secondary of the co, if you will. The primary guy was a wonderful preacher, the secondary co-preacher was to say not so good. In fact, I heard it described that he can't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. I'm thinking, great. I'm here, but I can come to hear this guy. And on top of that, I don't necessarily agree with this guy, everything he says. There are a few minor differences that we might have. 
And I thought, okay, God, you put me here for the evening, and I'm sitting here with a bunch of old people I don't know, and I'll just sit here and grin and bear it. And you know, somewhere in the middle of that sermon, God got a hold of me, and he said, knock it off, Terrell. What's wrong with you? I have you here for a reason. Pay attention. And you know, by the time he got through preaching, I had a whole different opinion of him. Because God was telling me some things that I needed to know in my life. Didn't have to know the guy all that well. I didn't have to agree with him all the time. To be able to learn from him, to how the Holy Spirit teach me through his ministry. I prepared myself not to listen and not to learn for no reason at all other than to be blunt spiritual immaturity. God said, I want to give you more than milk. Just pay attention and accept it. We need to get past the idea that those with different perspectives have nothing to offer to us in our lives from a spiritual standpoint. Because they do. We need to get past the idea that those who aren't part of our clique are, no, are somehow the enemy. They're not. Have you noticed that after a football game, and you'll see it today if you watch any football games, at the end of the game, guys who've been beating the tar out of each other for an hour are going to do what? They're going to meet in the middle of the field. They're going to hug each other. They're going to slap each other, you know, on the back. They're going to say, you know, how you doing? They're smiling. And a bunch of them will kneel down in the middle of the field at the 50-yard line, and they'll pray together. They'll hold hands and pray together from both teams. You know who's arguing and fighting at the end of the game? You won't see it unless you're there. The people in the stands. They hate each other. They're ready to beat each other up. I remember when my, my brother had, had seats to the Chargers. He had some, for a couple of years, he had, he had, he had uh, seasons tickets. And so once in a while, I'd get to go with him. And we would we'd go. And after a while, we said, we're not, going to the, we're not going to the Charger Raider game. Because literally, all through the, for the whole game, his was up over a, a balcony kind of, and you could see fights in the stands during the game. And then afterwards, you wanted to get to your car as soon as you could because it was not uncommon for people to be stabbed in those games. But the players on the field were smiling and praying together. That's that attitude of us versus them. We can't have that. You don't need that in your life. It will keep you in spiritual sabotage of your own life. So if you want to put an end to spiritual self-sabotage, let's not exclude others unnecessarily. Let's be willing to listen and let's be willing to learn. And then, thirdly, let's remember our place in this process. What's our place in the process? In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said... What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe? As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. 
He says that one person planted the seed and another watered it, and they each did their part. And it was God, however, who did the work of growing it. He's the one who made it grow. At times, Paul said things like, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Guys who are here on Tuesday morning Bible study, what's our, what's our, our, our key passage for the study of the apostles? For those of you who aren't there, we're studying the apostles. What's the key passage? 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Jesus Christ. Paul does say that. But he did not consider himself anyone's guru. Neither did Cephas or Apollos. They each had their own work to do in the kingdom, and each had their own role to play, and they trusted God to bring everything together. The results were far from, were, were for his glory and not for our own. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, our last verse in this passage together, and our memory verse for this week, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You're God's field, he said. In other words, you're God's project. In week one, I talked about the Leaning Tower of Pisa and how it was a 200-year project to build it. We're like that project. We're a project that's never going to get done in this world. We are still his project. We are his work in project. And, and again, quoting Paul's words uh, to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.6, talking about God, he says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He says, you're my project, and I'm not going to quit working on you, but you've got to give yourself room to grow in that. You've got to be allowing God to work in your life on a spiritual level. And your spiritual growth isn't dependent upon Paul or Paulus or any preacher uh, that might be around, he says. Your ability to grow is based on who God is and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And your level of worship isn't determined by the style of music or any particular song that is sung or, or, or any particular singer that sings that song. Your ability to worship is the Holy Spirit in you. And you may not like every song. You may not like everything that the preacher says. But we're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you. We simply do what we've been assigned to do by the Holy Spirit. And then he takes it and moves and works and brings about spiritual growth in our lives. God's the one who causes the growth. And he's the only one that does that. And we take our eyes off of him and look toward anything else, whether it's a particular preacher or a particular teacher or whether it is a particular singer or anything else. It might be a politician, it might be a pundit, it might be a, an author, it might be a denomination, anything other than to keep our eyes on Jesus, we self-sabotage our spiritual lives.
It has to be God who gives that growth, and we have to keep our eyes on him. So remember our role in the, pro- uh, the process. What's our role in the process then? It is to surrender. To surrender to who? To surrender to God. To surrender to Jesus Christ, his son. To surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we say, God, here I am. I want to grow, and I want this to be a long-term project until the day I come home to be with you. But I don't want to stagnate, and I don't want to self-sabotage that. And so I'm going to keep my eyes on you. Paul aims this passage of Scripture at those who are still being fed milk because they were not willing to do that. They were not willing to accept the solid food that God had for them because they didn't like either the food or the one who was giving the food. Either way, they lost out. Either way, they stayed infants. It's your choice. He said to the church, you're at fault. He said to individuals there, you're at fault if you're stagnated. Not the pastor's fault, not the music pastor's fault, not any teacher's fault, not even your parents' fault or anybody else. It's your fault. Because you're choosing worldliness to be carnal, to be a mere human being. When you were saved for so much more. God has such better plans for you than that, than to stay a mere infant until the day that you die. So every time we practice pettiness, every time we decide we're going to be a part of a clique and look down on everyone else, we build... um, Every time we build a spiritual foundation on anyone or anything else than Jesus Christ, we sabotage that opportunity for spiritual growth. What we need to be able to say is this. I am God's project, his work in progress. I welcome every individual who sins, he sends my way to help me be more like him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can be more like Jesus every day. We can keep our eyes on him. There will be leaders in our lives. There will be those who give us help along the way. But ultimately, it is you, Father, who gives the growth. So let us not self-sabotage. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us not be mere human beings. Let us be spiritual believers. For that one who is here who cannot say that they're a spiritual person because they've never trusted Jesus to be their Savior, they'd have to say, I am a natural person. I'm a natural human being. Don't have the Holy Spirit in my life. Don't know what it is to be a Christian. Don't know what it is to have my sins forgiven. Father, we pray that right now they would make that choice to see that change happen to trust Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. God speaking to you. Won't you come? We want to rejoice with you in those decisions you're making today. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. 
May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.